Welcome to God With Us with Pastor Daniel Hahn of the Pittsburgh Tri-Parish Lutheran Churches. It is indeed a great blessing to have you here with us today as we continue to share the exciting truths that are alive in the Word of God. In today's message, Pastor Hahn tells us that by his cleansing of the Holy Temple, Jesus makes us ready to celebrate the true Passover of God. Let's join Pastor Han now on God With Us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. As we draw near to you, Fill us with your life and your light. Amen. Our reading is from the second chapter of John, beginning at verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the Gospel of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. Psalm 84 is in large part a love song to the temple of God. It expresses over and again the joy and the delight of the believer to come to that place where God has promised to be, dwelling in the midst of his people. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, it says. Many years ago when I was in Johnstown, Father Amershack from St. Rocus Church just down the street invited me to see his newly renovated sanctuary. In one of the changes, the altar had been changed or replaced by a simple wooden table. And I noticed that down near the legs of the altar on one of the support beams was a small bird's nest. I asked him about it and I was told that was a reference to Psalm 84. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself 
where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And so the Lord who welcomes even little sparrows into his sanctuary must surely welcome us who are worth more than many sparrows. There was no place on earth like the temple in Jerusalem. During the time of Jesus, it was an architectural marvel, a building of surpassing beauty. The sprawling complex surrounding it had been under construction for nearly 50 years. Seeing it, the Lord's disciples had said to him, look teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. But it wasn't the stones and it wasn't the buildings that made the temple such a special place. In fact, when the second temple was first built under Zerubbabel, it was such an inferior structure that it made some people cry to look at it. What made the temple extraordinary was the promises of God connected to the temple for only in that one place on the face of the earth and in no other place, God had promised to dwell in a powerful and special way in the midst of his people on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies of that temple. There, God who is present everywhere was present in a unique way by which he was God with his people and God for his people. In addition to that, it was only in that one place on the face of the whole earth at the temple and in no other place that sacrifices were to be offered to God to atone for sin and to give God glory and thanks. The activities of our gospel reading today are centered on that temple of God in Jerusalem. John tells us the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now this is the first of three Passover visits to the holy city that are recorded by John, the final one culminating in our Lord's death and resurrection. And we note here that John calls it the Passover of the Jews. That's a little bit strange. I call it that because, you know, Passover by very definition is a Jewish celebration. Nobody else celebrated Passover. John is tipping his hand a bit, making us stop and think that, that maybe there is a different kind of Passover. We're being led to look beyond the old Passover to the new Passover of God, which will center around a different kind of sacrifice and have a different focal point than the one that came before. And John says on that Passover, Jesus was in the temple, God's beautiful temple, his dwelling place. And there he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. What a huge disconnect to arrive at this place that is supposed to be holy, set apart for the glory of God, all about the worship, and to find that it has become a marketplace with buyers and sellers hustling and haggling all around. 
the situation that Jesus saw that day, it might have started with good intentions. It probably did. Thousands of people traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover every year, and they needed animals for their offering. If you lived way up in Galilee, it was difficult to bring your livestock all the way to Jerusalem. It was much easier to purchase an animal once you got there. Likewise, the work of the money changers had set out with a good purpose to help faithful people pay the annual temple tax. But things had gotten wildly out of hand. What was begun as a service to pilgrims to aid them in their devotion had become a crass money-making operation that took advantage of those who had little and which had completely forgotten the sanctity of its surroundings. That kind of thing can happen in the church as well. Things begun with a good purpose can, over time, become something less than good, even contrary to God's will, because that's what tends to happen among us sinful human beings. And it's just one of the reasons why it's always appropriate to re-examine ourselves and re-look at the things that we're doing in the light of God's word. Now, as Jesus looked upon the desecration of God's holy temple by commerce and greed, he was furious. You don't see Jesus angry very often. When it happens, it's worthy of our full attention. For the anger of Christ, unlike our anger, is always holy and righteous. And here his wrath, his holy wrath, is set against the corruption of prayer into profit-making that injures the souls of all who participate in it and against a practice that, that turned that which is holy into something profane. John says, making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. You've heard me joke probably more than once about times when we've had something like a soup sale in the church basement after church that I should you know, overturn the money changers and Mrs. Brittner sitting there with her money box. But that's really very different from what was happening in the temple that day when we're when you're about raising money for mission or charitable causes, that's not the same thing. But I actually suspect we're in greater danger of having a similar situation to what was going on in the temple happening in our church or in another church when it comes to things like budget meetings and business meetings. Churches need budgets and they have to do business. But there's always a danger in those things that the church's purpose and work could become money-focused rather than mission-focused or focused on our human wills or human ways rather than on that which comes from God and gives glory to God. Again, scriptural reflection and prayerful vigilance are always called for. 
Jesus cleanses the temple, as indeed he would cleanse his holy church today, as indeed he would cleanse you and I, driving out all that is displeasing to him and all that would desecrate the holy place. Jesus cleanses the temple and the disciples bore witness to it. And John says they remembered how it was written about him, zeal for your house will consume me. That's a quote from Psalm 69. Jesus is so passionate about the honor and glory of his father's house that he springs into action to set things aright when things are wrong. And we are told that this work of Jesus cleansing the temple therefore fulfilled what the scriptures declared the Messiah would do. Zeal for your house will consume me. The disciples, it says, knew that quote from Psalm 69. And if they knew the quote, they almost certainly knew the context of that quote. For the passage right before and the passage right after, the words quoted from Psalm 69 both speak about the rejection of God's promised Messiah. The verse before zeal for your house will consume me says, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. And indeed we are told that not even Jesus' brothers believed in him and how even his chosen apostles forsook him. And the verse right after, zeal for your house will consume me, points to the mocking of our Savior on the cross. It says, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And so the cleansing of the temple fulfills the scriptures and points to the looming shadow of the cross. This is then the second thing in this gospel reading that is preparing us to come to a very different understanding about the temple. First, John talked about the Passover of the Jews, hinting at a better Passover to come. And now he has quoted a text from the Psalms that brings reference to Christ's rejection and death. And so we've come to that moment in our scripture when the entire discussion changes and our whole understanding needs to change with it. Seeing what Jesus did, driving out the animals and the money changers, the Jews confront him. What sign do you show us for doing these things? They're basically saying, prove that you have a right to do this. We don't think you do. And Jesus answers, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And with that, the whole conversation has changed. Because the temple that Jesus is talking about has nothing to do with what everybody around him thought the temple was. Thankfully for our sake, John in writing his gospel makes sure that you and I are clued in to, to the fact that the conversation has changed. That Jesus is not talking about the stones and about the buildings, but about the temple of his body. The tone of our Lord's words, especially in the Greek language, its original language, are almost a dare. Go ahead and make my day. Destroy this temple. Eat your heart out, Clint Eastwood. Those who hear him say those words 
they're going to take him up on that challenge. They'll tear him down, stone by stone, mock him, whip him, accuse him falsely, kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. I'd love to know what Jesus was doing with his hands when he said those words. Was he, was he pointing to himself in some way so that it was clear what the meaning was to be? We, we can't know that. But whatever the case, the Jews clearly did not understand his meaning. They simply scoffed at him. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Right. They didn't know it, but as they spoke, that wondrous temple complex, which so far had taken 46 years to build, had only about 40 years left to stand. In 70 AD, the Roman army, led by Titus, responding to a rebellion of the Jews, sacked the city of Jerusalem and utterly destroyed that temple, fulfilling the words of Jesus to his apostles, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It had taken 46 years to build that temple and took only days to demolish it. And it has never been built again. And it does not need to be. The purpose of that temple had come to an end. As Jesus Christ stood within the sacred precincts of that sanctuary, he appeared as the full embodiment and the ultimate fulfillment of everything the temple was given to be. Two things, remember, made the temple extraordinary. One, it was the only place on the face of the earth where God dwelt by sacred promise in the midst of his people as God with us and God for us. Christ, in speaking of the temple of his own body, declares himself the true temple, which fulfills and surpasses the old. For we read, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And again, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is the word made flesh who came to dwell among us, pitching his tent in our midst. He is God with us, our Emmanuel, and God for us, our intercessor and savior. And those who seek God can find him in no other place than in Jesus Christ, the eternal son. For he says, no one comes to the father except by me. The second reason that ancient temple was so special is also fulfilled in Jesus our Lord. For as the temple was the one place on the face of the whole earth and nowhere else where God provided for sacrifice to be made to atone for sin, so Jesus Christ in the temple of his holy body is for us the one true and final offering who was delivered over once for all to bring us peace with God by the shedding of his blood. 
And so it is written in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Apostle Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You and I don't need to go to Jerusalem every year to offer a sheep. God has given us his perfect lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And in him is the new and true Passover of God. And in him is the new Passover meal that unites us to God. Christ's very body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins that brings us peace with God and has the promise of his real and essential presence. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And it says, when he was raised, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And so we remember his word and promise, his death and resurrection, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, proclaiming his death until he comes. It was the unique presence of God and the powerful redeeming work of God that made the temple the temple and made it the thing of wonder and beauty that it was for God's people. When Psalm 89 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. That's a song about Jesus. How beautiful our Savior is. How our soul longs to be close to him. How he is the safe nesting place for us and our young and for all who put their trust in him. We may love our church buildings and think them beautiful because that's where we encounter Jesus as he comes to us in his word and sacrament. But ultimately, They are only buildings and will one day crumble to dust, even as the temple of old came to nothing. But Jesus Christ remains. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And in him, we enter into the courts of the Lord, which are above, which will never fade away. Amen. The peace of God that passes human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining us for today's broadcast of God With Us. This program is brought to you every week by your friends of the Pittsburgh Tri-Parish Lutheran Churches and this radio station. you to join us for Sunday worship at one of the congregations of the Pittsburgh Tri-Parish. All are welcome. St. John's Lutheran Church, located at 501 North Avenue, Millville, Pennsylvania, 15209. St. John's phone number is 412-821-6266. 
412-821-6266 with worship every Sunday at 9 a.m. Bethel Lutheran Church, located at 301 Scott Avenue, Glenshaw, Pennsylvania, 15116. The phone number for Bethel is 412-486-5777. 412-486-5777. With worship every Sunday at 1015 a.m. And Zion Lutheran Church, located at 237 37th Street, Lawrenceville, Pennsylvania, 15201, with worship every Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Zion's phone number is 412-621-2720, 412-621-2720. You can find St. John's and Bethel on Facebook, or on the web at www.stjohnsmillville.org and www.bethelglenshaw.org. You can also email us at godwithuspittsburgh at gmail.com. That's godwithuspittsburgh.com at gmail.com. Until next time, may our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God with us, always be with you.